Live. Live from This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. He's a New York sports talk and a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. We are getting ready for the uh, NBA offseason. The draft is on Thursday. Free agency starts on Monday, at least in the illegal tampering period, which means all the content can be signed probably even before that. I'm going to be joined just a bit by Brian Toporek of the NBA pod, and you can check out some of his stuff. I'll link to that in the show notes. Talk about the NBA. Talk about the Knicks, the Nets, the draft, free agency, all that fun stuff with Brian just a bit. We're going to be joined by our pop culture correspondent, Sam DeRosa, to break down Space Jam, A New Legacy. And it was some movie, I got to say. Somebody who loves Space Jam 1, this was something else. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show. But we'll get all started with the opening tip. We're going to talk about... What's going on at the trade time? Remember, it's on Friday this year because you don't want that awkwardness of having guys traded in the middle of games on Saturday afternoon right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Opening tip time, talking about the trade deadline and a lot of focusing on where the locals are right now. We're recording on Tuesday, the 27th, right before the night games are to begin. The Mets are still in first place in the National League East. They're three and a half up on the Phillies. They are in prime position to be buyers of the deadline. They've been linked to a lot of names. They already made one move, which came out of nowhere. They trade for Rich Hill from Tampa Bay. And this is a team that needed a move. I mean, they had to bring Jared Eikhoff back to start tonight. They've been going TBA, TBA, bullpen day. Guy off the street pitching. They need to get some stability in here. So Rich Hill's a good step in that direction. He had a solid debut on Sunday against the Rue Jays. Five innings plus three runs. Mets win two out of three. They're in a good spot. They have some stuff going on here. The Yankees, on the other hand, did not have a good weekend up in Boston. They dropped three out of four of the Red Sox. They're in Tampa for three ahead of the deadline before they go to Miami, take on the Marlins this weekend. And the Yankees kissed the division goodbye with that performance in Boston. That was dreadful. Two of the worst losses of the year in it's very Met-like with them, where they seem to find ways to lose these games in excruciating fashion. The 2019 Mets were all about that, and that cost them the playoffs. What they're seeing for the Yankees, we'll see, because the East is gone. They only have two series at the Red Sox. They're back not, about nine and a half games. They're way back at Tampa for the first wild card. That's out of the picture pretty much, especially if Tampa takes care of business here. But that second wild card in the American League, that's the si- sweet siren of the Yankees saying, you can still make the playoffs. You can get to 88 wins and get in here because the AL wildcard race is a mess. Oakland right now has it. They are up two on the lost column on the Yankees. That's not a big match to overcome. And the Yankees figure, hey, you know, we're not going to go big, but, you know, do we have to do a ton to catch Oakland? Is Seattle really going to keep this up? And this is having a negative run differential this year. The Blue Jays can't pitch. The Mets saw that this weekend. The Indians, you buying them, or soon to be called Guardians. There's not a lot of obstacles here for that second wild card. So, you're the Yankees. They're not going to sell. 
they can still sell themselves and say, hey, we can get that second wild card and get in the playoffs, which, say that's the expectation now considering where they started the season, but that's where we are. In terms of the needs here, the Mets, as I said before, still have three needs. They still need a big bat, preferably third base. They still need a starting pitcher, and they still need relief pitching help. Rich Hill is a good step in the starting pitching front. They could use another arm. They could go big. They can go small. I think it's more likely they go small there. Use the big chips trying to run Chris Bryant from the Cubs. It makes too much sense. They get a package deal. making him and Craig Kimbrell. That'll be huge for this team. You get those three things. I think now you block up the division. You are looking for a threat to win the World Series here. The Yankees have some clearly defined needs. They still need center field help. They could use more pitching. The question with them is what they're going to do with it because it doesn't make a lot of sense to give a ton for a rental. Somebody who can walk away at the end of this year. If the price is right, maybe if like Trevor Story's price drops, you can see that. But I think for them, they're looking for sort of the guys they can control for another year. So I got like Joey Gallo makes a ton of sense for them because he's left-handed hitter with power. He can play the outfield, which the Yankees have an issue in right now. They have a lot of needs. The question is, again, how much do you want to sink into this product for this year versus what can we do to help us next year? The thing to watch also, the market is flooded with guys. You have a lot of big names on the on the market. You got all your big Cubs. Chris Bryant mentioned before. Anthony Rizzo, Javi Valles, all potential free agents, all could be on the move. Craig Kimbrell going to get moved because, again, elite closer right now, affordable option. He's a guy who will be shipped out of Chicago. The Twins started the mess already. They traded Nelson Cruz away to the Rays last week. They are listening. I'm sure to offers Jose Barrios and Josh Donaldson and whatever basically is not bolted to the ground. Bryant, Byron Buxley falls in this category. Watch them. The Marlins have Starling Marte. They have some pitching. They're something to watch. The Rockies. Trevor Story should get moved, but again, this is Colorado. They have been known not to do the smartest thing. Would it be shocking to see them hold on to him and get the qualifying offer? No. It wouldn't be smart business, but again, it's the Rockies. John Gray should get moved. That's something I think the Mets could be in on. The Rangers have some pitching. Kyle Gibson, Ian Kennedy, those kind of guys can move up. On the aforementioned Joey Gallo. The Reds are an interesting spot because you have some big-name long-term pieces like Eugenio Suarez, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray. Those are the ones where the Reds are in an interesting spot where they think they can still make a run at the Padres in the wild-card race based on the division they're in. The Padres get to play the Giants and the Dodgers a lot. The Reds are not going to catch Milwaukee, but the rest of that division kind of stinks. And they only have one series left with the Brewers, so interesting to see what they do. The big one that just popped up lately is the Nationals falling out of the race, get swept by the Orioles. Basically, they're open for business now. The big potential kingmaker here is Max Scherzer, who is a pending free agent. He has 10-5 rights, so he can control where he goes. It sounds like right now the three NL West teams, the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres, are all the front runners for him because he's controlling where he wants to go. He prefers the West Coast. I think he's getting moved. And he could be a kingmaker in this race, especially if he goes to the Dodgers, who don't have Trevor Bauer anymore because of the whole sexual assault situation where he got himself basically kicked out of the league unofficially. The Padres could make the big splash. I don't know how much they're going to do beyond that in terms of big swings. You also have the Giants, who have been surprising, but you add him to that rotation, that's a big way to get past the Dodgers in the West. There's a lot going on at the deadline. We will talk about it more next week when we see where the chips fall, what the locals did, all that good stuff. But 
Up next, we're going to go to our NBA conversation with Brian Toporek right after this. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and taking it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley hoop. I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Because it's basketball or Mr. Curtis All right, we are back here on the podcast, getting ready for the NBA offseason. Always a fun time in the NBA sphere. Join me today, the host of the NBA pod, Brian Tapork is here. Brian, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing pretty good. I have to say, I've had not always been the biggest NBA guy, but this year sort of got me back into it. It's been a fun year for the association. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's certainly one of the most wide open title races we've had in some time. So it's, it's good to have some new blood in the finals and you know, kudos to Giannis and the Bucks for what they did. Yeah, I have to say, when the finals started, I was not sure what to get, expecting out of Giannis, especially because he's coming off the injury, but he put up some all-time form, especially that Game 6 clincher. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And, you know, I've been standing for Chris Middleton for years now, so it was great to see him come up big a couple times, Drew Holiday as well, getting his flowers, you know. I, I do hate the narrative that emerged from the finals about like Chris Paul choking and this is another stain on his legacy. It's like, oh, both teams played really well. It's just the Bucks played a little bit better. But you know, I'm not I'm not down on the Suns or Chris Paul in particular. No one expected them to get to the finals or be up two zero at any point. So yeah, you know they they blew that lead. But kudos to them for getting there. Yeah, absolutely. We saw Drew Holiday go to the Olympics, basically be the only guy on Team USA to actually really show up in the first game. So he shows you how bad he was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right off the plane, too. Unreal. It is unreal. And we're talking about the Olympic team. I have discussions on them for another day. But the they look forward to right now, the NBA. The offseason is always a lot of fun. I think for me, I want to start with the draft. It's coming up on Thursday here. So what are some headlines you're looking for in the draft? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to start right at the top. Does Detroit surprise us and, you know, either not take Cade at number one or do they trade out of the pick? I know Houston's made some calls about it. Sounds like Toronto might be trying to move up either for Cade or Mobley, OKC. Uh, there have been multiple reports now that they offered Shea Gilgis-Alexander at number six for number one, and Detroit turned it down. So conventional wisdom says Detroit will stand pat, take Cade Cunningham with the number one pick. Um, and then, you know, Houston will probably go Jalen Green at two. Cleveland probably goes Evan Mobley at three. Sounds like there's some intrigue. Uh, reading Bleacher Report's Jonathan Wasserman yesterday, you know, Jalen Suggs is a, has been presumed to be a lock in the top four for most of the season now. Um, but it doesn't sound like rival executives are sold that Toronto is going to go that way. They've heard Scotty Barnes' name pop up. So I think there's more intrigue at the top than usual this year. Like it, it could go chalk and, you know, maybe this is all just pre-draft smoke screens like usual, but there's a lot of, you know, these top three, four guys that we're talking about, all the draft experts who I've spoken with said, you know, in a normal year, all of these guys would have gone number one. Like they all have franchise centerpiece potential. So Seeing how that top of the board shakes out will be fascinating, and it'll kind of dictate how the rest of the draft goes. And then we already saw it yesterday with New Orleans and Memphis pulling off a trade. It, it sounds like there are a lot of trade conversations, more than usual, 
at this time of year. So I'm curious, you know, what what teams are trying to move up? There are multiple teams. Orlando has five and eight. The Warriors have seven and fourteen. The Knicks have nineteen and twenty-one. Do any of these teams try to combine their picks? I think Houston has twenty-three and twenty-four as well. Um, and then you know, teams later in the first round. Do any of them try to get off of their pick either for win now help? It sounds like the Sixers at twenty eight are thinking about that. Uh, the Jazz at thirty, I've, I've seen, you know, might use that pick to get off of Derek Favors' salary. So, I, Godspeed to anyone doing mock drafts in the next couple of days because it sounds like the board is going to be completely different by the time the first round wraps up on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned all the trade possibilities. This is the first draft in a while. I remember that so many teams have more than one pick. You mentioned Orlando, Oklahoma City, the Knicks, Golden State. I mean, I feel like at least one of those teams can make a big move in the draft with those picks. Golden State's the one I'm watching up because they have 7, 14, and James Wise. And I don't think they want to wait around for picks to develop and still have the title window of Steph Curry. Yeah, I mean, I think if if Golden State could have found that player already, they would have already pulled the trigger. It sounds like you know, the rest of the league has been somewhat lukewarm on the Wiggins Wiseman seven fourteen for a star package. You know, I know they want to get into the Bradley Beal bidding if he requests a trade this week. I don't think that's gonna be enough for him. Uh Pascal Siakam, I know John Hollinger of the Athletic, I think he was the first one to report that he's a name to keep an eye on, especially, you know, if the Raptors are really in on Scotty Barnes or if they're eyeing Ben Simmons as well. That doesn't seem to bode well for Pascal Siakam's long-term future in Toronto. So there are a lot of wild cards to monitor. And then, yeah, we have the the Simmons situation hanging over us. We know he's available. It sounds like Beal is at least considering moving on from Washington, which would be a drastic fee change from where he's been throughout his career. He's always been one of those guys who says, you know, I want to stay in Washington. I want to stay loyal. But I want to win, and I think he's looking at the landscape and realizing it's probably not going to happen in Washington. So he might ask out this week. I don't think we get a Damian Lillard trade this week. I just think for a guy of that caliber, you know, I don't want to say he has to force their hand because I think if Portland was smart, they would be quietly shopping him behind the scenes right now. I think the writing is on the wall there. And I think, you know, given their contract situation a lot of their guys are heading into the last year of their respective deals so this would actually be the right time to trade him this is like the natural pivot point if you wait until next offseason when Robert Covington Yusuf Nurkic you know Derek Jones Jr. didn't pan out very well for them but he's also coming off their books then you might lose Dame and have all these guys you know you could have gotten something for these guys this summer but now they expire, you get nothing for them. So I think Portland should be looking at, okay, what's our long-term five-year plan here? But I don't necessarily think it happens before the draft. Yeah, well, I go to Willard for a minute because Lillard's obviously a guy who's going to hang over the entire offseason because he's the biggest star on the board who's hinted he might be open to a move. And right now, Portland said, you know, we're not interested right now. But do you think, obviously, before the draft seems tight, considering he's at the Olympics and might not have as many direct contacts at Portland as he usually would, but, like, do you think something could happen, like, next week in the offseason? Do you think he's still in Portland at the start of the regular season? I think it's likely that he is, but I don't think he should be. I, like, I think if, if Portland was really looking at this objectively, they would realize the best thing for them is to hit reset now, trade him for that star package, whatever it is, 
And then, you know, again, sell off Covington, Nurkic, explore CJ McCollum trades, like hit the hard reset here. Because now I think Portland and Washington are also in somewhat of a staring contest. If, if Beal asks out from Washington or Willard asks out for Portland or both of them do, you know, the same teams are going to be bidding for both guys. So one, whichever one goes off the market first, that's going to be one fewer blockbuster package for the other to decide between. So if, if either team is really interested in, say, Ben Simmons is the main centerpiece in, you know, one of these star trades, which I don't think they should be, but, you know, let's, let's say they are, they might have to act quickly because Lord knows the Sixers are trying to find a new home for Ben Simmons as quickly as they can. Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously he's going to be one of the big things to watch because the free agent market, there are some names on it. There are not as many big ones as usual. Who are the guys you're watching in terms of free agency that you think could make some impact as they move? Yeah, I mean, Kawhi Leonard, we have to start at the top there. I know he's coming off the ACL injury. We don't know what his status is for next season. He's going to miss some time. He might miss the whole season. We don't know. There's, there haven't been any reports saying Kawhi Leonard is seriously considering signing anywhere but the Clippers, but you know it's at least worth monitoring because if he does entertain offers elsewhere, you know, in Dallas or Miami, New Orleans just opened up a lot of cap space. That would be, you know, he's the biggest free agent on the board, even if he isn't necessarily like, you know, seen as widely attainable. Uh, Chris Paul, if he declines this forty-four point two million dollar player option, again, I don't think he's going to leave Phoenix. I don't see why he would coming off of this Finals run. But if they decide, you know, we don't want to give him, if he's, I think Eric Pink is the Bleacher Report, the one who reported he was looking for something in a three years, hundred million dollar deal which is a lot of money for a guy his age and with his injury history. So if, if Phoenix decides, you know, we can't go up to that point, we'll give you three years, 50 million. And the Knicks come out and say, we'll give you three years, 120. You know, we'll, we don't care. Blank check. That's at least interesting. Cause I think, especially seeing the impact that Chris Paul had for the Suns this past year, teams are going to be eyeing him as, you know, can he do the same thing for us? Uh, Kyle Lowry, Mike Conley, I think, are the two biggest unrestricted free agent point guards on the market. Sounds like Lowry, no one expects him to return to Toronto at this point. So where he ends up is going to be fascinating. I think New Orleans, Miami are probably the most likely destinations. Philly, possible, but there are a lot of uh, complications with regard to sign-in trades. So I think you know Ben Simmons or Tobias Harris would have to be going out if Lowry's coming in. Um, and then the restricted free agents are kind of, they're like the unsung heroes of this free agent class because you know most of the big name free agents are over the age of 30, Lowry, Conley, DeMar DeRozan, you know, those types of guys. Uh, some of the restricted free agents, Lonzo Ball, John Collins, Jared Allen. I don't know why Gary Trent Jr. isn't getting more buzz, but I, I'm worried that Toronto is just going to be able to steal him for a lot less than he should be getting. So I, I'm curious to see where those younger guys end up because those are the guys you know, that you want to invest in long term, that you feel comfortable giving a four-year big money deal to rather than you know, a Kyle Lowry who's 35 and he's reportedly asking for $30 million a year. I feel more confident giving you know, a John Collins or a Lonzo Ball that kind of money than I would uh, Kyle Lowry at this stage of his career. 
Yeah, absolutely. I want to go to the locals here for a make them New York base. And obviously, if the Knicks are the big movers and shakers of the Aussies, they have so many things they can do. I want to start in the draft with them at 19 and 21. Do you think they stay put there? Or you think they try and pack those picks and move up? Because I heard there's rumors to try and get into like the mid to late lottery looking for somebody up there. Yeah, so I had uh, Matt Babcock of Basketball News on our podcast the other day. He's he's heard the same thing that they're you know considering moving up. He identified Chris Duarte from Oregon as a possible target for them. So I I wouldn't be surprised if they're trying to move up. Uh, you know, which team can they get to bite is the question. I think there are teams, you know, in that probably late lottery mid first round range where it makes sense for them to trade down and take two bites of the apple instead of one. But I also think you kind of just have to see how the board plays out. If you're in New York, like if you get to the 13th or 14th pick and you still have, you know, eight guys on your board who you feel pretty comfortable and confident in becoming NBA players, I'd probably just stay put at 19 and 21 and just, you know, try to get two of these young guys in because Odds are, especially in that range, both of them aren't necessarily going to pan out. So, you know, you have to be pretty confident in the guy that you're trading up for. Like, this guy is definitely going to hit because, you know, again, the hit rate once you get outside of the top 10 is not (laughs) exemplary, as the Knicks have learned over the years. Yeah, I feel like with them, I feel like if you're staying put, I feel like you're looking for like kind of role players who can fill needs for you. I feel like the three guys I would look for if I'm down there is either like Chris Duarte, like you mentioned, because he can get just like most NBA ready guy in that range. Isaiah Jackson, give yourself another like mobile big, and like the big swing would be like a Jalen Johnson falls down there, you could take a chance on his talent. What do you think about those kind of guys in the Knicks? Yeah, no, I think that those are the exact right type of guys to be targeting. You know, I think a Sharif Cooper could make sense there as well. I think. You know, they're going to want to find a point guard, whether it's in free agency or the draft. I think that has been a big issue for them over the years. And we'll see if they re-sign Derrick Rose. But, like, I, you know, I don't think you can go into next season trusting Alfred Payton as your starting point guard. So, you know, I, a Jared Baylor, or sorry, Jared Butler could be interesting for them as well. Uh, you know, he's got some medical concerns. He got red flags at the Combine, but the NBA has since cleared him. And he's also more... NBA ready as well. So if, you know, the Knicks want to build on this positive momentum they generated this past season, you know, maybe they do take, they they do go after some of these, you know, older, more NBA ready guys rather than a project. Yeah, I know also they have a lot of cassies of free agency because the thing with them, I know it doesn't seem like Julius Randle's going to sign long term because it makes sense for him to, but they have to spend this money somehow. And, do you think it's even more pillow deals trying to bring the gang back together? Do you think they could try and upgrade? Because if I was a Nick, I'm a Nick fan, I would say this team kind of needs to upgrade because we saw that what we saw last year with them sort of maybe the height of the ceiling with this group. Yeah. Oh, I think they're absolutely looking to upgrade. Um, you know, again, I think point guard is probably the main spot. So I would not be surprised to see them in on, you know, CP3 if, if he's actually obtainable. Kyle Lowry, I think they'll throw a pretty big offer at him. I think Lonzo Ball has been a rumored target for them for a while. Spencer Dinwiddie could be another interesting one coming off the ACL there. Uh, Dennis Schroeder is the one guy in that group who I would not be especially high on. He turned down a four-year, $84 million extension from the Lakers this past season, which would imply that he's expecting more money than that. And I would not be super keen on giving him you know, 490, 4100. So he's, he's the one guy in that range that I would stay away from. But otherwise, 
the good thing about this class for the, the free agent class for the Knicks is that not a ton of teams have, you know, 20, 30, 40 million in cap space, but the Knicks are one of the few that do. And there are a lot of free agent point guards on the market. So even if they miss on CP3, if they miss on Lowry, if they miss on Conley, you know, the teams that, re- that get those guys are probably going to be wiped out. Uh, you know, that's going to gobble up all of their cap space. So there's probably going to be someone uh, in this like point guard musical chairs who is left without a home. And maybe the Knicks end up getting a discount on the player who, you know, thought he was going to get a big money deal. And all of a sudden his market dries up. Yeah, I feel like with Den, the key to their offseason, I think like you want to improve, but you also want to try and keep the powder dry for future years. I think you want to try and do the net plan where you're good, you're get, ascending, and then the star comes out and says, oh, I can go to New York, put them over the top. Now I have to go to New York, bring three friends, and fix the whole thing myself. What do you think about that? Yeah, and I think you were, you were spot on about Julius Randle, too. you got to you know be, keep an eye on his potential extension as well. He's after, after this year, so it, it, the NBA team building is just so tricky. Because it's like, as soon as you feel like you're in a good place, you have three other holes that you need to plug. Uh, but, you know, for the Knicks, I think they're in a good spot for now. Um, how they manage, you know, I think I could see them, especially coming off of the success they had this year. They want to keep that momentum moving forward. Maybe they do decide, all right, now is the time we go all in. We can take advantage of this down market and of, you know, these players who can't, aren't going to get the money they expect. Uh, and maybe they see what, you know, a team like Atlanta did, who, you know, spent big last offseason on the guys like Neil Gallinari, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and then rode that to an Eastern Conference Finals appearance. So I could see the Knicks saying that's the play for us, so we could just keep building. But at the same time, as you mentioned, the Knicks are always one of those teams where it's like, if, if they have their eyes on the superstar free agent prizes. And I think now with the success that they've had, they might be more appealing to those types of players than they have been over the past five years. Like it's always been a pipe dream for them to end up getting a Kevin Durant or a Kyrie Irving. They didn't have the core around those guys where it would make sense. Now you can at least start to see the foundation of that being built, especially with Julius Randle and RJ Barrett. Yeah, absolutely. I want to wrap up with the Nets because obviously I don't want to spend too much time on them because their roster is pretty much set. When whoever they pick in the first round is probably not going to be a major contributor for them. But like, what type of free agents you have to make besides obviously the Jeff Green, uh, Blake Griffin decision? What else do you kind of see them doing? Yeah, I mean, I think those are the two big questions for them. Can they keep those guys? What kind of contracts do they want? Because you know, obviously the Nets are way over the luxury tax right now. So they are only going to have the taxpayer mid-level exception at their disposal is about $5.9 million. Now, do they have to dip into that to re-sign Jeff and Blake? Or will those guys take you know, minimum contracts or like slightly above minimum? They can offer 120% of what they earned last year. You know, For Blake, he's still getting almost $30 million from the Pistons next year. So I don't think money should be too much of an obstacle for him. And I, you know, I would assume the role that he can play for this Nets team. Like, you know, I can be the starting de facto center in the playoffs. I don't think anywhere else he goes, they're going to have that same type of role for him. So that might appeal. And I think they are going to have, you know, the ability to keep Blake probably at the minimum. Uh, Jeff Green, I think he's going to have a market. So I think they might have to tap in to the mid-level to keep him. uh, Because I think teams are going to see, you know, he's just kind of a plug and play. You can like, this is the 
ultimate glue guy. He was always miscast because of where he got drafted. He was number five, and people thought he was a star. He's not that type of player. He's just always been like this complimentary role player type, but he's really found his groove in that role. Um, so I think he will be tough to retain at a minimum. Um, and then Spencer Dinwiddie, too. I don't think they're going to re-sign him, but do they explore a sign-in trade for him? Can they find a team that doesn't have cap space or doesn't have enough cap space and still wants Dinwiddie? Um, and if so, what are they getting in return? Because you know any salary they're adding to their books at this point, the luxury tax bill is going to swell very quickly for them. So I guess the big, the biggest question for them is how much is their team owner willing to spend on this roster? The hope is you have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. You know, you, this is the time that you should be willing to go a hundred million dollars into the tax. But that's the type of tax bill we're talking about here. It's not, you know, oh, they're five million over the line. It'll cost them like twelve million or whatever in tax. It's, they're already twenty million over. So we're talking a tax bill already before free agency starts in the forty to fifty million dollar range. And once you get that high, every dollar you add, it's like three or four dollars in tax. So how they manage, you know, how much they're willing to spend on this roster and what what types of guys they can get to fill out. Like they have the best big three in the league. But as we saw throughout the playoffs, you can have a lot, you know, Milwaukee had a great big three as well, but guys like Brent Forbes, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis played important roles on their championship run. So the Nets can't just rest on their laurels and say, we have the best big three in the league. Where it's like, well, if your depth is terrible, you know, you're still probably not going to win the title next year, especially if one of these big three get hurt. I feel like with them, I think their whole key is like they're going to sort of be in that mode where compete with the Lakers. He's going to have to like the ring chasing veterans to get in the depth and finding young guys of value. I think that's their being like, that's not something that takes place just over the offseason. It's something that carries the regular season as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, they will be in position for those ring chasing veterans. So they will be able to add those guys in minimum deals, even if Blake and Jeff leave. But, you know, finding the right guys is also, that's part of the, uh, the equation and then I guess the last thing is DeAndre Jordan do they really want I know you know he's buddies with KD and Kyrie and that was he was like part of the package deal but he didn't play very much in the playoffs or at all in the playoffs I think so do they really want his 10 million dollar salary on their books this year do they use you know one of their young guys or their picks do they try to use that to get off of his salary yeah, interesting thing to watch for sure, Brian. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can be a file on social media to keep up with the NBA pod. Yeah, uh, you can you can find us anywhere podcasts are found. We're at the, at the NBA pod on Twitter. So please subscribe, download. Uh, we've got a lot of great stuff coming out over the next, especially next two weeks. We've got the draft on Thursday, free agency right after that. And we'll, we'll go right into offseason, but we'll have plenty to talk about. Yeah, the NBA, the league that never sleeps. Brian, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Basketball camp is next weekend. You got amazing potential on the court, and I can help you get there. That's not what I want, Dad. You never let me do what I want to do. You never let me just do me. Hold up. Wrong floor. Bet Will Smith ain't got to deal with this. Dad! Down! What in the Matrix hell? Welcome to the space.
welcome, King James. I am the king of this domain. This is the serververse. What'd you do to my son? Where's Dom? The only way you're getting your son back is if you and I play a little basketball. Pete, send this clown to the rejects. Wait. What is this? Oh! I'm a cartoon? What's up, Doc? I need to assemble an elite team to help give my son back. I know what you're looking for. So shoot, baby, shoot. A dream team. Mom, shoot the ball. Let's try that again, shall we? King James. Welcome to the Space James. We are back here on the podcast. You just heard the trailer for Space Jam, A New Legacy. It's on HBO Max right now for another, I'd say, probably 15 days or so. Join me today. Somebody I broke down the original Space Jam with last summer, our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rose, is here. Sam, how are you? Good. How are you today? Doing pretty good. And I got to say, this movie was something. It was very interesting. I have to say, though, like... I mean, going in, we knew Space Jam 1 was a cult classic. I had low hopes for this one. I feel like they went even below what I thought it could be. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have, like, the best thoughts going into it. I just thought it was going to be a little bit better. And, you know, I was, I was like, pretty upset by it. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, I want to start out here with a little, diving some odds and ends of this film, so... Obviously, we have LeBron James as the lead, and we know he's got some acting ability. If you remember him in the Amy Schumer movie a few years back, he has some ability. So, I think about mm-hmm. LeBron is an actor here. He's okay. I mean, I feel like he did his job for what it was. I don't think he was bad, and I don't think he was good. You know, I think he was just LeBron James pretending to be LeBron James and, like, you know, in a multi-universe, not multi-universe, I apologize. I'm so used to our talks on Avengers and Marvel and our um, animated, you know, into the WB-verse or whatever it's called, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was not given much to work with there. No, he was not. Not even a little bit. I was, it was disappointing because I know we, we know LeBron has a little bit of acting chops. He's not like, I mean, he might be a better actor than Jordan based on what we've seen, but he was not given a chance to show it, in my opinion. No, he had zero chance. Like, they didn't even give him any abilities to show any of his work. Yeah, I think the other actors in the movie, though, I thought there were some good ones there. So, no, Sonequa Martin-Green was good as LeBron's wife, and 
I yes. No, I have no idea what Don Cheadle was doing in that movie, but he was funny, at least. He was pretty funny. Like, I uh, I really like him. Like, don't get me wrong. I kind of wanted more of, like, a Danny DeVito. Like, I get... Because he's not, like, a Danny DeVito. I think he's a great actor. So, I don't know. Maybe I was just a little disappointed. Yeah, so anyway, for those of you who have not seen the movie, I'm going to put the spoiler warning up here in case you want to go log on to HBO Max, go check this out for a couple hours, then come back and listen to us. <laughs> I'll give you the 60-second version of the plot. It might even take less than this. LeBron, <laughs> LeBron and his son are having disagreement because LeBron wants something to focus on basketball. The youngest son likes to be a video game designer. LeBron goes to WB for a meeting where he is pitched this Warner Brothers server thing and wants to make put LeBron every movie. And Don Cheadle is the algorithm in the thing. LeBron does it. He gets sucked into the into the server. He has to play the the server team in a game of basketball against his son's son's video game team. And game is very weird. They win. End of the movie. Is that basically it? That's literally it. You summed it up, and I. Think I believe if we timed that fully, like full on official time clock, that was less than sixty seconds. Yeah, and that's, that movie's two hours long. Yeah, which is <laughs> always two hours long. I think I didn't understand with this. The Warner Brothers app is the villain of the movie. Hmm. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I, and like they're trying to promote themselves, but make them the villain. I guess I guess that makes some kind of sense, it do- and it also doesn't. But at the same time, this was such a disjointed thing. I was like having like tonal whiplash watching this thing going on and on and on with LeBron basically spending the first hour of the movie basically going through a WB commercial talking about all the properties they have. Exactly. I mean, like the whole thing. I mean, like you saw the flying monkeys and the Wizard of Oz. It was like anything they can think of, any notable character they just threw in there. I think. Austin Powers was in it too. Did you see that? Or was that yeah. just me? No, Austin Powers is in there. I mean, Porky Pig was mini me at one point. Yes, I do remember that. But like when like watching the basketball game, like I wasn't even paying attention to them like quote unquote playing. Now I always feel like maybe, you know, style points, like video games now are much different from what I feel like you and I grew up playing. So like I put I even putting that aside, I didn't understand it at all. I did not. And I think the all the movie use was so weird. And then LeBron spends the first like 45 minutes after he goes in the WB app and basically it's a cartoon. I think they didn't have LeBron mm-hmm. for all that time. I think it was the cheapest way to just get him to be a voice actor. But the stuff with some of those were weird. I mean, like the, the superhero stuff with Superman and the cartoons you had. LeBron says he's a Hufflepuff, which I don't buy at all. Do you think he's a Hufflepuff? Uh, you know what? Actually, I feel like they got that pretty spot on. I feel like LeBron would be a Hufflepuff. He doesn't strike me as one though, especially his movie version of the character, because he's like not. Because I feel like if it was a Hufflepuff, like he would be like, "Okay, son, you can do whatever you feel like." Yeah, I guess so. So he had more Slytherin vibes, and then you know, he became like the good Slytherin towards the end. Yeah, I feel like he's on that Gryffindor Slytherin line, like Harry Potter was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also agree. Yeah, so we have this going on. He basically finds out that all the Looney Tunes got placed in other properties in the app, and then they get reunited as a team. And did any of these things get your interest at all? Were you sort of yada yada it, like, on your phone while this is going on? I was, I mean, honestly, I I watched it. Like, I, like, tried my best not to skip through because I'm like, okay, maybe there's going to be something notable and quote-worthy or something funny. Not even a little bit. I was just like, why... 
I mean, it was interesting to have Speedy Gonzalez this time around, I guess. I was like, oh, look, it's Speedy. But other than that, I was just like, okay, like, and next. And I didn't understand the grandma at all. I don't know why Baffy was a coach. Like, all these things, there's just, like, so many things where, and I paid attention. Like, I had full on, I used all my attention to watch this movie. And I still feel like I don't understand, like, half of the stuff that happened. Yeah, I definitely don't understand a lot of it either. Like, at one point also, like, we have this thing where, like, and Shields Cacker's, his name is Algae Rhythm, which is a very, very clever pun in, yes. for, like, five-year-olds. But yeah. at the same time, I'm sitting here, I'm like, these references they're trying to show in the WB app, like, what, like, seven-year-old kid is going to say, I want to go watch Casablanca, Dad? Yeah, exactly. Or even The Matrix, like, these kids can't watch, well, you know, I feel like what we used to watch, what kids watch now are a little different, but, um, you know, like, who's going to, like, what, like five-year-olds going to go watch The Matrix? Also, I really don't think they should be watching The Matrix. I mean, I, I don't even know how I want to watch The Matrix sometimes. It gets scary. Yeah. Also, like, the whole, like, this world's not real kind of deal. Yeah, it's a little confusing, and I also thought, unlike the first one, the usage of the NBA and WNBA players, I thought was very, very weird. I did not like what they did with them. Like, why did I, yeah, like, I liked the, in the first one, like, they stole their power. Like, it, it kind of made sense. And I, like, I understand you can't have, you know, the same thing twice, like, you know, because it's, you know, you know, it's getting yet to, like, oh, this one's just, like, the original, like, blah, blah, blah. But, why, like, why a spider? Why a snake? Like, it doesn't have to be, like, like, they, because they weren't, like, villain villains. I know there's the goon squad, but, like, they could have been, like, something cooler, at least. Yeah, like, some of these made no sense. Like, wet fire for Clay Thompson. I was, like, trying to figure out what exactly he was. The Anthony Davis one, I had no idea what they were trying to do with him. Diana Taurasi yeah. was, the, was, the, was the snake, I guess, because her nickname. But, again, like, it was all just a bunch of CBI, CGI garbage. Yeah, no, I just, I think that they're using an excuse to show them what they can edit. Yeah. The only one I liked was Dame Time, because that one at least was clever. But then again, he's, yeah. su he's such a game breaker, they couldn't even put him on the court, because it would have ruined the whole plot of the movie, whatever plot there was. Right, exactly. Yeah. I did think, though, the bit where Granny finds the one to stop Dame Time also made literally the least sense of anything in this movie. Yeah, I... I know. I just, uh, I, I, I still don't like that. I have a hard time even like, you know what I mean? It's just like, ugh, it just makes me mad. Yeah. So what did you think of the actual basketball game? What we, what portion of basketball we saw? Cause this is a far different experience than we got in the original space jam. I mean, personally, it's not for me. Maybe, you know, maybe for kids out there. Cause this is, then again, I go back to think like this movie was made for kids. Yeah. So, like, this movie wasn't made for you and I. Um, but I guess, like, it was kind of cool. Like, you know, like, there were, you know, it was, like, made for younger kids. And for me, I didn't like it. But maybe for what the, the target audience was, it was great. Um, I will have to go ask, you know, my younger cousins and stuff. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, for me, it's a solid no. I did not enjoy the basketball. Yeah, the basketball was like, it was so hard to track because they based it off of LeBron's son's video game. And it's like, mm -hmm. all, it's not even like, oh, like LeBron's in the movie trying to coach his tunes. Like, oh, fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. And then it's mm -hmm. all of a sudden, oh, you have to do tricks to get points. Like you're getting like 700 points for like, get for like splashing down dunks and like all sorts of crazy stuff. It's like, it just didn't, 
I just couldn't follow any of it. And like sitting here, like they didn't even explain just what we're trying to watch here. Exactly. Yeah. It, it was, I mean, like I said, like maybe if, you know, Mike, you and I were like 10 years old, it'd be the coolest thing ever. But, you know, for purposes of us being adults, criticizing a kid's movie, I think it was not that great. <laughs> no, and here's the thing with the kids' movie angle that you're right about, because it is intended for kids, but you know, like kids, like if they love mm-hmm. a movie, they're going to watch it over and over and over and over and over again. You can see that like 25 times. It's been like a month. So like how many kids yeah. do you know would actually say, I'm going to put Space Jam 2 on every single day? Oh, I don't think that many at all. And that's where it failed, in my opinion, because that's mm-hmm. something where like if the kids are not like excited that they want to see it again and laugh at all the jokes again, like I don't think it worked. Yeah, and I don't think there was that many jokes to begin with in the thing anyway. Yeah. What was the point in the movie where you were sort of like literally sitting there, you know, watching this thing and then you just sit there and you just go, what the hell's going on here? What was that point? That point was just LeBron James first off going to like Looney Tune World. Like it was just like his animation was so strange. And why was he animated? Michael Jordan wasn't animated. Like I know it's probably different from like, you know, 96 to now, but like, why was he animated? Why did he go through the whole WB? And I'm just like, this is like so boring. Yeah. I almost fell asleep a few times watching it, but yeah, with that, with me, I will say I accept, I knew it was product placement. Once I heard the rumors about it, I'm like, okay, okay, blah, yeah. blah, I get to the basketball game. Then once I see the, the, t- the first of all, the Looney Tunes getting turned into 3d characters, like that combined mm-hmm. with the, like wet fire and dating time. That okay, I'm out. This is terrible. Like they just ruined anything they had to redeem the movie. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing that they could have done to fix it. I mean, honestly, like I was really hoping for. I know Michael Jordan would never come on, but like it would be nice to maybe like him to you know put away his differences and be like show up for like literally one second. Oh no! And then the other part was they had no Bill Murray. Like if Bill Murray isn't gonna make a small appearance on your movie. Your movie is not good. Like, your movie's trash. If Bill Murray does not want to come on and make a small appearance, that must say something. Yeah, I think in terms of Michael Jordan, glad you brought that up. I knew he was never going to appear in it, but the mm-hmm. only point in the movie where I actually laughed was when they said they're in the locker room at halftime and Daffy Duck says, oh, I found Michael Jordan. And you, they give you the clothes that you found. It's Michael B. Jordan, the actor. I was That's the only thing that actually got me to laugh. Oh, yeah, no, that was pretty clever, and I feel like that was the literal highlight of the entire film. The thing was that that they also made no sense is, like, they had the rules of, like, okay, where everybody who gets sucked into their phone and is actually being held hostage in there to watch the game is yeah. held in a force field outside. A, how the hell did they get Michael B. Jordan into the locker room? And then B, why didn't the writers just use Michael B. Jordan to sort of be the Bill Murray, like, sidekick show up and just be on the team for the second half? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to pay Michael B. Jordan for like two minutes, you know, of his time. Yeah, I think it would have been fun. Like if you had him show up there and sort of be just like trying to tell, like convince LeBron to like sort of let the tunes do their thing. Yeah, exactly. Because he does, all he does, he shows up, he says, Friday Night Lights, Clothes and Weaves. Yeah, which again, why? Yeah, because again, the 10 year old's not going to know if like clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. They like, have no idea what he's talking about. No, not even a little bit. Well, then again, it's not even like a kid-related show either. No, it's like that one you try and get the adults. And I don't know how many, like how many of like the Space Jam generation is intimately familiar with Friday Night Lights. Yeah, it's more of a drama, it's not even like comedy. It's not even like super, super well known. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing I think is also strange about this movie is like 
how like traumatic this would be. Like imagine this is real life and about like like hundreds of thousands of people just all of a sudden disappear into a video game and we're almost like the lead out of existence and then they just show back up and everybody's fine with it at the end. Like, okay, I get it's a kid's movie, but no discussion of that whatsoever. Yeah, that and they like told people doing important things and like that's not even like I don't know. I that just bugged me too. Yeah, it's basically like the Space Jam mechanism here to get the fans of the game was sort of like the blip from Endgame. Yeah. Where they basically, yes, yes. Where basically you see the end cap, like the havoc going on in the post credits scene that movie where like helicopters are crashing into buildings and mm-hmm. like bus drivers are disappearing and people are really like just snapping out of existence. And here we're like, oh, okay, life goes on. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. That's a perfect summary of that because I was thinking the same exact thing. Like, how did you not explain that at all? Yeah, not even, like, any sort of reaction in the main world. Like, nobody's, like, aside from, like, LeBron's friend manager trying to get himself sucked in the phone, which also wasn't funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's be honest here. And we want to get the people some honesty here. And what is the grade for this movie? I'm going to say a D minus, and that's me being nice about it, I think. A D minus. So, what's the... I was very upset about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, I'm going to the D because I think mm. it's like the bar was low because we knew they were not going to top the original one. Yeah. They went way below the bar because they basically tried to disguise an infomercial as a movie. Yeah, it was just so like unnecessary. And like, think about all the time and money they spent on that. And then this is what we got. Yeah, and I don't even know what the hell they were promoting because like, yeah, like, there's not, like, some sort of WB movie app that you're trying to get people to sign mm-hmm. up for. It's, like, HBO Max, apart from showing the movie, I don't think they were referencing many of their properties in it. It's not like we spent time with The Sopranos. Yeah, exactly. Like, there was no... There was just, like, what, Game of Thrones? That was basically it. Yeah, that was really it. And, like, I'm sitting here, I'm like, like, what did we waste our time with this for? It's, like, it's just such a There bit. was so much money. Yeah, so much money that went into, like, CGI, green screen, editing, like, so much post-production, which, you know, a lot of post, you know, post-production people are amazing. They do, like, literal magic. But then, like, it's just, like, we're paying LeBron all this money yeah. for, like, somebody else's hard work. Yeah, and we couldn't get, and we couldn't keep LeBron on the set, which is why LeBron's be a cartoon for, for the first half of the movie. Yeah. It just made, it just literally was just such, so frustrating because that, there was potential there. I mean, it does look for it to be, like, yeah. a solid, like, B-minus movie. Like, yeah, you know, and I'm very, I'm pretty like liberal with my ratings with movies. I like to give movies like better ratings than they deserve, but I, I can't with this one. This is a first for me. Yeah, I, I was way down this, and like I've seen, a, I've been watching a lot of movies lately because I've been trying mm-hmm. to get myself prepped for next week and doing a special Star Wars movie ranking podcast coming up. I've been watching a lot of movies, and including some of the stuff <laughs> that's come out, and like. This is the worst thing I've watched so far. Nothing. Granted, I've not rewatched episode nine yet, but this is not the worst I've seen. I'm gonna say, like, when it comes to episode nine, I feel like episode nine is like twenty times better than this movie. Yeah, I feel and like that's it, like saying something. And that was not a good movie. I watched Attack of the Clones. I would have watched that again instead of watching this again. Oh my god, <laughs> that's saying something right there. Attack of the Clones, like as of right now, is the worst Star Wars movie I've ever seen. So I'm gonna, yeah. I then again, I've not seen nine since I've saw it in theaters. I'm gonna do that again be- between when this podcast comes out, the next one is. So mm-hmm. we'll see if this is 
It should be a poll question. What's worse, the Rise of Skywalker or Space Jam New Legacy? That should be my new poll for the week. That would be a good one. I'm very excited. I can't wait to uh, contribute to that poll, but also see the results. Yeah, I, I want to see where that lands because I feel like I, I'm, I'm also one where I'm glad I had HBO Max not to spend the money for a ticket in the movie theater. Oh my God, me too. I like said that like, like 20 times while watching it. Yeah, because I'm sitting there watching like, thank God to not spend like $17 on a ticket to go sit and watch this movie. Yeah, exactly. Because this would have been so, I would have been so mad. I like she left before the movie was over. Yeah, I mean, I would, I'm pretty spiteful. I probably would have stayed, but but if I did, if somebody else paid for it, I'd be like, let's get out of here. Yeah, for sure. And I think also like one other thing I want to ask you about before before I let you go is like, have you checked out this month on Netflix the Fear Street trilogy? Oh no, I am a baby when it comes to scary movies. And I haven't had time to watch them during the day. Yeah. But I heard they're amazing. So that's on my list. They are. I watched all three. Uh, Friends of the podcast, John Stanko, gave me a big rec- huge recommendation of that before we got into this. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad I listened to them. They were all really good. Well, I'm definitely going to watch them then because Stanko never leaves us wrong with movies. No, like, I, I, you got to watch them in, like, part one, part two, part three. You know, it, it does say they kind of go backwards chronologically to make sense. Okay. Like I, like, and it's a very, very fun franchise. I did enjoy that, and they left open the room for a fourth one down the line. So I'm excited about that. Oh, awesome! Yeah, no. Um, if you and Stanko both are recommend like recommending this movie, these movies. Sorry, I will definitely check them out. I'm just, I'm not kidding. Like, I don't like being scared. To be honest with you, I have to watch scary movies at like 10 o'clock in the morning when the sun's out. Yeah, I, I can get that though. I did watch a Quiet Place two last night, like at like ten thirty at night with all the lights off. So that was fun. Oh my god, good for you! I I, didn't, I haven't like got up the uh, courage to watch it yet. Yeah, it's about it's a solid solid follow up. It's about ninety. It's it's about ninety minutes long, and it's, I did, they do get a lot in there. Okay, well, I'll have to add that to the list too. But I'll, I'll probably add the Fear Street ones on first. Yeah, I would do Fear Street first. They they, they were better than a Quiet Place Part Two. Mm, gotcha. <laughs> all right, Sam. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can, um, people, I can people follow social media, all some of the stuff you're up to. Well, you can follow me basically anywhere. I have all the social medias, even a TikTok, but I'm not going to put that out there because I don't post anything. I like to creep. But if anybody wants to follow me in real time, it's at Twitter at, uh, at S-V-E-R-O-S-6. You can find me on Instagram at SDeRosa175. And just Google Sam DeRosa and see who you're going to find. Maybe a famous singer, maybe a head athletic trainer at Iona College, or me. That's like my fun new thing now. I'm sure they'll find you on there. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> and I also want to say you are not going to be with us this next week when we do the Star Wars movie rankings podcast, but you did contribute your list. So I, you want to get the people and start teasing this a little bit. You have, what was your favorite? What was your least favorite? My favorite movie, I'll go with my favorite movie. It's Star, it's one, it's six. My favorite, uh, episode, uh, my favorite Star Wars movie is episode six. Um, I don't know why. It's always been kind of like my favorite, you know, hands down since I started watching them when I was very little. Um, I don't have a least favorite. I have a few that are on the bottom. Uh, episode one just made it back to my bottom. I used to not like it. Then I was like, oh, it's better than that. But I rewatched the series, and I had a really hard time watching episode one. That's funny because, like, when you said that, like, I rewatched episode one got better when I watched it this, this time around. You know, episode three got a lot better, like this time around, and I kind of feel bad for all the hate I've been feeling about it over the years. Three is <laughs> underrated. I will say that. 
Right? Maybe just because I was so let down back in the movie theater that I didn't watch it for, I, I don't know, since the movie came out until this year. I'm like, you know what? It's not that bad. And the other thing I think helped my appreciation of three, and I'll get this out there to like all the Star Wars fans, that I watched Clone Wars like before I did this, the whole show. Mm-hmm. Like seeing that does add a lot of context to it, which is again a problem with the movie itself. But I think having that gave me some appreciation for the work that was done off screen with the characters. Yeah, um, that I'm still working on. I think I'm on season three now. That's a that's a hard one for me to finish. Like it's good. I just uh, I just need to probably watch like the more important episodes to get all the information. Which I'll just reach out for you for that. Yeah, you're get you're getting there. Yeah, slowly but surely. I'll give you a piece of advice on your rewatch. Anytime you see an episode that's led by droids, skip it because it doesn't matter in the end, end scheme. Okay. All right, Sam. Thanks for all the time. Re- thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And sorry for the, you know, fast pace. I'm uh, for your listeners out there. I'm in the middle of the woods in New Hampshire and I'm scared shitless, basically. I'm sorry to curse, but I am scared. I'm sitting in my car and I am scared. <laughs> hey, that's dedication. I appreciate it. Oh. Thank you so much. Hopefully it's like the Friday the 13th, right? In the lake. Absolutely. All right. Well, you have a good one and thanks for having me again. All right. That will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Brian Tapore for coming on to talk all about the end of the off season. That was a very fun conversation. We got to listen to it. Glad you enjoyed it. Also the space jam, a new legacy chat with Sandra. Rose. I want to thank her for coming on as well. That was something again. I don't know what they were doing there. It felt like a giant WB commercial, but it's a movie. It's still on HBO Max for a couple of weeks. So if you want to check it out without going to the theater, go ahead, check it out there. You want more good stuff like this podcast, including my thoughts on what the Rangers should do this offseason. They already addressed some of the concerns I laid out there. Pavel Buchnevich got traded. They did not do a Jack Eichel trade yet. They are trying to reshape that roster a bit. Check out the blog over at justsendthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Shopping, your favorite podcast platform. You all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well. That make the podcast even better going forward. It does mean a lot. We are over 200 episodes in now, so please leave that feedback. It means a lot. You can also check out the YouTube page, Mike Phelps on YouTube. Individual conversation on this episode will be up on YouTube. There's also a bonus chat I have with Nick Wright of the Sky Guys. We're going to have a big bonus podcast coming next week where we're going to rank the Star Wars movies. We have some audience feedback coming in. That conversation is on YouTube as well, so check that out there. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. Coming up next week, we have some fun stuff cooked up. We have the Star Wars show, as I mentioned. We're also going to do some training camp talk. Giants, Justin Campbell, diving to one of those little teams, and more. Until then, we have a better week than Rangers fans. Texas Rangers. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.